Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Wallace, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast. When we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses, this week we'll be talking, well, of course, the transfer deadline roundup, Figo, Pulisic, Dest, Philly, LAFC. Uh, let's see, what else? All sorts of other stuff that's going on, uh, but we want to get to it. We don't want to mess around anymore. We want to go right into it. As you know, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Thursday, September 1st? We are coming to you from Kansas City. You are in one side of the hotel. I'm in the other side of the hotel as we prepare for the U.S.-Nigeria game, the U.S. Women's National Team taking on Nigeria on Big Fox on Saturday. How are you doing, my friend? Doing well. Excited to be here. This is my first time in Kansas City. It, I played here over 20 years ago. It has not changed that much, but it has changed. Uh, I was back when uh, we were playing at uh, Arrowhead Stadium and back when we were called the Wizards. I played here for a year uh, with the likes of Mo Johnson and Digital Takawira and uh, let's see, Chris Klein and Tony Miola and a bunch of other players there. We were not very good on the field, but I had a hell of a time off the field. It was wonderful. People here were wonderful. City here is uh, is great. So we're looking forward to that. Mossy, I mentioned um, to you that I was watching the Figo documentary. And for those that haven't seen it, it's on Netflix right now. And it goes through the incredible, but very apropos here, right? Transfer saga of Luis Figo, the uh uh, Portuguese superstar uh, that transferred from Barcelona to Real Madrid. Have you seen this yet, my friend? I have. Yes. And what do you think? I mean, you're a, you're a connoisseur when it comes to soccer documentaries. I loved it. I found it riveting. It felt like a spy thriller or a true crime doc, even though it was talking about a, a soccer transfer. Uh, yeah. And the fact that even after all these years, the protagonists can't agree on the basic facts. You have Figo and his agent contradicting each other on whether Figo was aware of this pre-contract with Real Madrid. Then you have Barcelona president Joan Gaspard claiming that the night he was elected, he got a call from Figo and he recounts in great detail this conversation, which Figo gave him one last chance to hold on to him if he had forked over lots of money. And then they cut to Figo and he says, mentira, that conversation never took place. So it's kind of mind blowing. <laughs> How could two people disagree on whether a conversation even took place. I mean, and we're not giving anything away, but for me, I think it's a great documentary, but nobody looks good in this. Uh, as a matter of fact, it is the most slimy, disgusting kind of collection of, uh, of characters ever assembled. And I don't believe any of them. 
I don't trust any of them. And by the way, everybody from Figo to the presidents to the agents, they just all look and sound so slimy about this thing. And to your point, you don't know who to believe. And so therefore, like I said, I don't believe any of them, but I ate it up. I loved it. And it was amazing to see you know, the politics behind soccer and obviously the money and the double crossing and the intrigue, like you said, uh, almost a, almost a spy movie that was in front of us. So yeah, I, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. It was, uh, it was wonderful. And, and I don't, I don't think I remember at the time, a lot of the stuff that was going on and certainly not to the extent and the depth of what was, of what was happening relative to this, this one player and you can look at him as a pawn, but I don't. And if you watch this, if you watch this documentary, I think you'd agree, Mossy. He was as much of a protagonist and a player in all of this as any of the others that don't kick a ball. But I did come away with the distinct feeling that he did not want to go to Real Madrid and his agent kind of put him in a situation where he felt like he had to. Well, you need a good agent, my friend. You need a good agent <laughs> that you can trust and one that gets you what you want. We'll probably talk about that here in a, here in a second. All right, listen, enough of that, because uh, we are at, as we record this right now on uh, Thursday, September 1st, the transfer window has closed. And so the deals have been done. I mean, and again, at the end of these windows, we have, you know, players waiting in the airports. We have agents uh, going back and forth and trying to get the, the best deal. We have desperation from clubs, maybe even more so than I can remember in that clubs just saying, we kind of, we have to do something, if nothing else, just for the effect and the optics of actually looking like we are doing something to improve ourselves before this window closes. Uh, where do you want to start? Because there's just so much. Yeah, I mean, I have some big picture thoughts on this window, which we'll okay. get to, but I, I do want to start with the Americans uh, who are in the news here the last few days. Um, you've got um, Ricardo Pepe loaned from Augsburg to F3 Groningen in the Dutch League. You've got Serginho Des loaned from Barcelona to AC Milan. You've got John Brooks, who looked to be headed to Stu Holden's Mallorca, but instead signs with Benfica. And then you've got Christian Pulisic, who remains uh, with Chelsea, much to the chagrin of a lot of U.S. fans. And why don't we go there first? Um, I know you've been tweeting about this. Um, I know there's this feeling among U.S. fans that he's being held hostage at Chelsea. They really wanted him to get a move. They're not happy with his situation there under Thomas Tuchel. What say you? Well, that he is not happy under Thomas Tuchel should be a surprise to no one. Um, and even for Christian Pulisic, who really is very guarded, you can see that it is not a healthy type of situation. Now, that is not a reason for Chelsea to do a deal if it's not conducive and, and not the right business here. And that's where you get into this, this question of, they're not holding them hostage, all right? Stop that. I mean, 99.999% of the world would love, if that's being held hostage, to be in Christian Pulisic's hostage situation, okay? You know, having said that, and this is, you know, I talked a, a second ago about having good representation, all right? If Christian Pulisic is unhappy, if Christian Pulisic wants a move, okay, he's not going to scream and yell about it because that's just not who Christian Pulisic is. He's not going to be a a, uh, a cancer in the locker room. He's not going to be toxic to the environment there. So there's no incentive when it comes to, we got to get this malcontent out because Christian Pulisic just doesn't 
say anything or open uh, open his mouth. Okay, they paid a ridiculous amount of money for him, and so there is a business reality to anything that they do, and they're not just going to give him away for free. And this is where, like I said, your representation matters. All right, the agent that you have, and this isn't. I don't know the particulars and I don't know the situation. I'm just looking at if this player is disappointed, if this player is having a problem, if this player needs a move, then your agent, that's when your agent is earning their money. Okay. To find a solution. Any agent out there can make hay and do great things when everything is hunky dory and everything is going great. That's the easiest thing to do, but the great agents, they are able to come in, to a shit show. They are able to come into a difficult and challenging situation when a player is having problems and they are able to work out a solution and figure it out. And look, at times you got to be the bad guy. And that's sometimes why you have an agent to be that bad guy, because that agent has to be doing everything in service to his or her client to make sure that they are doing what needs to be done. And so do I fault Chelsea in all of this? No, Chelsea's going to do what's best for Chelsea. And Christian Pulisic has to do what's best for himself in terms of getting the people involved uh, that can get what he wants. And if he doesn't get what he wants, all right, well, that's just, you know, that's you signed the deal, you made the move, and now you're going to have to live up to it. And listen, <laughs> it's these are these are such Tata Martino uh champagne problems uh, that we're dealing with right now that I don't, I don't feel bad for Christian Pulisic. And as, uh, as I'm going to talk about later on in the show, I also don't think that this is going to in any way hurt his performance come Qatar. And he's on that plane regardless. Yeah. The issue for me is that he has a role on that team. It might not be the role that U.S. fans want him to have or that they think he should have, but this is not a guy who's a total outcast. He's featured in all five Premier League games this season. Thomas Tuchel doesn't view him as a starter. He views him as more of a super sub, a squad player, a depth piece. And, you know, it's a long season. There are lots of games. People get injured. There are suspensions. And so they still view him as a useful player to have around, just not in the prominent role that U.S. fans think he should have. And by the way, I agree with U.S. fans. I don't think he's been treated entirely fairly there um, under Thomas Tuchel. But so, you know, this is not a case when Tuchel's complaining about not having enough players, they weren't going to get rid of a guy that he's using um, unless a great offer came in, which it, it sounds like it didn't. And so I'm not surprised that they held on to him. You know, as you said, they spent a lot of money on him, so they're going to get some use out of him, even if it's not the role that you think he should have. Why do you think he's been treated unfairly? Uh, because I, I do think when he's come on, he's when he's played in games, he's performed well enough, especially relative to some of the other Chelsea attacking players that I think he warrants more, more playing time. All right. Well, I mean, look, he's going to have to grin and bear it <laughs> in living in London, playing for one of the great teams in the world, making a ridiculous amount of money and maybe not starting and playing for a coach that doesn't necessarily rate him uh, as highly as others. So uh, he's going to be just fine. Well, so one U.S. player who has been treated like a total outcast is Serginho Dest at Barcelona. And it's a shame because I actually think Serginho Dest, when given opportunities there, played pretty well. I think he can be successful at Barcelona. But much like Christian Pulisic, he ran into a, a manager in Xavi who just doesn't rate him as highly as others do. And, uh, you know, he was very resistant to this move away from Barcelona because in his heart of hearts, he felt like he could change Xavi's mind and he wanted to succeed at Barcelona. But finally, it got to a point where, OK, if you really want me out of here that bad, uh, I'll go. 
And I think he found a pretty good situation for himself going to AC Milan. Although I will say U.S. fans, they always think the grass is greener and that the next team that the U.S. player goes to, they're going to just walk right into the lineup. And it's not going to be that easy at AC Milan either. Now, the reason AC Milan even became a suitor here is because their backup right back, Alessandro Florenzi, picked up an injury. He's going to be out eight weeks. So they 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 acquired Des to be a backup right back. Their starter is a guy named David Calabria, who is the captain of the team, a homegrown player, a fan favorite, and Italian international, won the Euros last year, helped AC Milan win the Serie A title last season. So I mean, anybody that thinks this is Sergino that's walking into a starting role, I think initially is just, that's ridiculous. I mean, who knows over time, but so U.S. fans do need to prepare themselves for that. But we also know Serginho can play multiple positions, right? So, I mean, I think it wouldn't even surprise me if he's used in different ways, maybe an attacking, uh, you know, a right-sided midfielder and all those, uh, all those things. But to your point, you're absolutely right. This isn't, this isn't a move that guarantees him a starting position uh, as opposed to, not that anybody has ever guaranteed anything, but there are other ones where you kind of know you're coming in and you're going to play and you're certainly going to play a hell of a lot more. At this point, if he just steps on the field, he's going to be playing a hell of a lot more than he was at uh, at Barcelona. And while it's not well, it's not falling up, uh, this is certainly a very soft landing for Serginho Dest. And look, he's coming from Barcelona and he's a great player. And, you know, from a U.S. perspective, yeah, we, we just hope that uh, he gets some opportunities and proves why they made this move. And whether it's Ace Milan or anybody else, you don't just bring in a player just to bring in a player, even notwithstanding what I said at the beginning. I don't think that this is a just a show move by AC Milan to say, hey, we did something. No, yeah. And to your point, even being a backup at AC Milan is better than he wasn't even making match day squads right. I see in Barcelona. Uh, John Brooks, um, like I said, look, look to be headed uh, to Mallorca. We were texting with Stu Holden about it. it. seemed like a done deal. And then next thing you know, he signs with Benfica, which if you gave Greg Berhalter truth serum, I don't think he's thrilled about this because I think he's closed the door on John Brooks in his mind. And he would have preferred for him to be sort of out of sight. Uh, you know, there were rumors about Saudi Arabia at one point this summer. And instead he goes to a pretty big club that's going to be competing in the Champions League. And so that spotlight is still going to be on him the next few months. And you know how US fans are. If he does well, they're going to be incredulous that somebody like Aaron Long can get in the World Cup squad and not John Brooks playing at Benfica. Yeah, I mean, I know I know that Greg can't do this, but some a part of me just wants Greg to say, you're not in my plans and just make it public. And I know he'll get he'll get crap for it. And, you know, if if John Brooks goes to Benfica and is starting and playing, by the way, on an elite team that oftentimes is going to be pressed up and has plenty of the ball and you know, under less type of pressure, you know, you're going to be, have people squawking and stuff like that. But uh, again, kind of keeping everybody on the hook, which is what a national team kind of has to do. I, I, I get it. And when it comes to uh, our friend Stu Holden, you know, hell hath no fury like a, uh, a scorned uh, Mallorca and or uh, Stu Holden out there. Although who knows, maybe, you know, maybe he uh, dodged a bullet there when it comes uh, comes to John Brooks. But I'm I'm glad John Brooks is playing. I don't think, like you said, I don't think ultimately it's going to make a a whole lot of difference relative uh, relative to the national team. And there's going to be plenty of people out there that will disagree vehemently uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to John Brooks and be angry about the fact that John Brooks is not involved in the team. But you know, that's uh, what Greg Verhalter sees in the way that he plays. And Greg has talked about you know, the challenges and, you know, the possible difficulties of playing a high line and not being able to cover space behind you, um, you know, as well as, you know, a, a Walker Zimmerman and or a, 
Aaron Long or others or others out there. But you know, at least he found a, at least he found a place. So well done, John Brooks, and good luck at Benfica. Uh, and then finally, on the American front, Ricardo Pepe to FC Groningen. Um, you know, I never like to speak in absolutes when it comes to young players and what the right path is, because there are exceptions to every rule. But I think there's pretty compelling evidence that if you're an, a young American striker going to Europe, you're better off going to a top team in a lower league than a bottom team in a higher league. I remember when Josh Sargent signed with Norwich, everybody said, well, he has to do it. It's the Premier League. Likewise, when Ricardo Pepe signed with Augsburg, people said, well, he has to do it. It's the Bundesliga. And even going back all those years, Josie Altador and Hull City and Sunderland and all these situations were a disaster. But you know what wasn't a disaster? Josie Altador at Azed Alkmaar or Daryl DK at Barnsley or Josh Sargent at championship side Norwich. The best thing that ever happened to Josh Sargent was Norwich getting relegated. It's revived his career. So <laughs> I, I do think there's something to the fact that maybe at other positions it's different, but at center forward, you're such at the mercy of service. And, you know, you go to these teams that have like 30% possession every week, create one or two chances a game. I mean, that can't be good for your development. So I think American strikers moving forward have to be a little bit leery of that. It's not always going to the best league possible. It's trying to go to a team that's going to be on the front foot and playing attacking football and giving you chances. Yeah. I mean, to your point, specific to strikers, that's where the that's where the problem is, right? <laughs> because you you live on goals. And if you're going to a, to a team where you're only getting one or two chances, maybe a game, that's, you know, that's hard. The other side of it is you say, okay, but if I go to that team and I actually show that even with those challenges, even with the fact that I'm only getting one or two, I'm able to score, that would be a hell of a thing to say. And I would look that much better. My my worry is that, you know, all the people that you mentioned, they had that moment, either initially or they found that moment by, by design or just because of the, the fates, and then they started producing. What happens if Ricardo Pepe doesn't produce at Groningen? Then, then we got problems. And by the way, Groningen is not exactly Ajax or PSV. Right. They finished 12th last season, but I, I do think they're of higher standing in the Dutch league than Augsburg is in the Bundesliga. And by all accounts from people that follow Dutch football closer to me, they do play pretty good football. So it seems to be a better situation for him. We'll see how it goes. Um, just a few big picture thoughts on this window. It's interesting. The two names that everyone thought were going to dominate this summer uh, took care of their business so early that they almost felt disconnected from this transfer window. Erlen Holland and Kylian Mbappe. It was very early on this summer that Erlen Holland signed with Manchester City. And by the way, he's the signing of the summer. I mean, to say he's adapted to the Premier League. <laughs> Remember that? Oh, thank God. Thank God Pep and uh, Man City was able to figure out a way to play with a traditional number nine. Uh, and then Kylian Mbappe obviously chose to stay with PSG and not go to Real Madrid. So once we got into the meat of this summer, the biggest stories for me were Barcelona and everybody trying to figure out how the heck they were doing what they were doing and all the spending and these signings, including Robert Lewandowski, who I think is arguably the biggest name to switch clubs. By the way, there was a lot of interesting center forward movement with Erlen Holland going to City, Darwin Nunez to Liverpool, Lewandowski to Barcelona, Lukaku going back to uh, Inter Milan. So that was kind of an interesting subplot as well. And then this Cristiano Ronaldo situation, um, the fact that he wanted out of Manchester United, his agent offered him all over Europe and nobody wanted this guy is absolutely astonishing to me. This is Cristiano Ronaldo. I know he's at the end of his career, but still, when I look back at the summer, that's going to be one of the things I'm going to think about. I mean, is that, is that the same for you? Yeah. I mean, I, I get it in that there, there was a time where the baggage was worth it, right? But 
there also comes a point where is is he fundamentally going to change on the field who we are as a team? Well, yes, but it might be in that we have to completely adjust to accommodate him. Or, you know, you know, the, from the business perspective, that's obviously something that uh, that factors in right now. I just think a lot of people just said, I, I don't need that hassle right now. <laughs> you know, and there was a time where they said, I will put up with whatever hassle it is because of how how good he is and how I know it's it's the right thing to do from a soccer perspective. And look, this happens. This hap- I don't think this has necessarily happened to Messi. If Messi were on the market right now, I guess everybody's on the market at certain a certain point. I don't think people would be saying, ah, I don't need that that problem. But this is this is who Cristiano is and who he has made himself to be. And all of that baggage comes with him wherever he goes. And then last, last thing, the gap financially between the Premier League and everybody else has reached just incredible levels to the point where people are saying that we effectively have a super league. It, it just happens to be the premier league. Um, they, they, the premier league, they set a summer transfer record. Uh, it was 1.7 billion gross spending uh, among the 20 clubs going into deadline day. So we're gonna have to wait for these late moves to be tabulated and the number is even going to go up. Uh, and you have like Nottingham forest outspending Real Madrid and Bayern Munich and clubs like that. So it's not even just the top teams. You have the, the bottom newly promoted clubs that are throwing around all this money. So it's incredible to the point where there's some talk about the premier league instituting some spending restrictions, some sort of financial fair play uh, because they even think it's gotten out of hand. So that's going to be interesting to follow in the next couple of years. Well, I mean, it, it if it's gotten out of hand, I would think that it would be because the other side of the balance sheet isn't, <laughs> isn't adding up, right? If they have all of this money and they are able to spend it, they're not just spending it just to spend it. They're spending it because they are going to be making money. These are all businesses. They're not, they're not charities. And I know for, for some, they are kind of toys, play things, if, if you will. So whatever financial fair play, usually that comes into play when everybody looks around and says, this is not sustainable. And this is not smart business for who we are collectively. And I don't, I don't think that anybody is necessarily saying that. And from the outside, it's not my money. It's not your money, Mossy. I love it. Keep, keep spending. Even if it's inflated All right, everybody understands that you can inflate players, uh, uh, salaries and and worths and values relative to the market that uh, that they exist in, and that's just you know. I, so I have I have no problem uh, no problem with it. I don't you know clutch pearls or anything when I see the amount of money that is being spent on this this entertainment that is the EPL. And there's a reason why it's the most popular league in the world. There's a reason why it's the first league that people think about when they think about professional soccer leagues. It's because of the talent because of the way that it has been branded and marketed. And most importantly, it's because of the actual money and the smart money in terms of the way that they, uh, they, they spend it. And that's where you go for the quote unquote best players in the world, because that's what has been bought. That's it. Uh, Okay. You don't want to talk about anything else out there, Mossy. I know your, your brain starts spinning around there, but you're good. I'm good on transfer window stuff. We have lots of games to get to, Stoda. I know, I know. It is, a, and it is a fascinating thing to to behold that whole uh, transfer uh, transfer. Can you imagine um, what's his name, Fabrizio? Uh, his phone during a, a situation like what's his last name? I, f- I forget his last name. Fabrizio Romano. By the way, um, you know he has this mystique that when he says "Here you go," 
here we go. You can, it's a done deal because he never gets it wrong. He did get one wrong this summer and it upset my father very much. Fabrizio Romano, he had this young Brazilian player who my dad loves, João Pedro, going from Watford to Newcastle, which was a deal that my dad was all for. And he gave it the here you go. I keep saying here you go. It's here we go treatment. And I sent it to my dad. My dad was all excited. And then it turns out the deal collapsed and João Pedro ended up not going to Newcastle. So Fabrizio Romano owes my father an apology. My father is not happy with him right now. He, he Deserves an explanation. And, you know, he tried to weasel out of it in the ensuing days. Well, I didn't mean done, done. You know, they still had to sign the contracts, et cetera. But, I mean, he thought that deal had happened and it didn't. So, Fabrizio, you, you got one wrong for once. All right. Well, I know Fabrizio listens. So, uh, I mean, he's doing incredible work and just killing it uh, in terms of the information and the amount. I don't know if he sleeps uh, and I don't know how many phones he has, but uh, he's a fun follow. And is other than notwithstanding the one time there, he's pretty much on the money when it comes to the things that he uh, that he has. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we'll take a look at all of the MLS action that happened uh, this midweek and a look to the weekend of the action that's coming. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. And uh, Mossy, let's, uh, let's dive into some MLS action because we are getting down to the nitty gritty in terms of the end of the season here and... As we mention each and every time that, I mean, there's just jockeying back and forth for potential playoff position. And if you're so lucky to be in a playoff position where you're going to be, are you going to host a game and all that kind of stuff is going on? Where do you want to start first, my friend? Well, let's start with LAFC, a team that for the majority of this season, we had uh, given the mantle of best team in the league. But uh, lately that's come into question because Philadelphia was on an absolute tear and LAFC had hit a bit of a... Uh, bump in the road here. And this Wednesday night seemed to be the night that a lot of people flipped and suddenly started to say that Philadelphia is the best team in the league. We'll get to their result in a minute. That was our FS1 game. But uh, first off, LAFC, they fall 2-1 away to Houston, their third straight defeat. How concerned should LAFC fans be about these recent struggles? Well, I mean, look, no, no shame in losing to Houston, maybe more so not shame, but more so in terms of a factor, it's it's Houston. It's Houston in the middle of the summer, and it's very, very difficult for anybody to play there. So that in and of itself isn't unexpected. But to have this be the third loss in a row, to have this be everybody externally, and I think internally looking around saying, hey, wait a second. I, I, yeah, I mean, I think it shows that it's very difficult to make massive changes. And I'm talking about massive personnel changes to something that was pretty functional and pretty successful and expect there not to be problems, especially with a young and relatively inexperienced head coach with all of this expectation, some very, very big names. Um, and look, none of this is necessarily Steve Chirundolo's fault and even J John Thorrington for making these decisions. Some of them you, ha you had to make, you know, some of them maybe looking back, it, it's it's been just too much change to a very, very good team. But 
the way that this team looked was not, you know, uh, what I think a lot of us still think that this team can be. And to your point, myself, others, I mean, it's tied now when it comes to points, although uh, LAFC does have a game in hand when it comes to uh, Philadelphia. And yeah, I mean, this is good from a neutral's perspective because there is a race. We've said time and time again that supporter shields do not dictate. As a matter of fact, only seven times uh, do they dictate you going on to win MLS Cup. So that wouldn't necessarily be a surprise. But to falter down the stretch here for a team that a lot of us said, just give them the supporter shield. Um, yeah, that's not a good look. And this is not the time that you want to be faltering. However, maybe it is a moment that gives Steve Terundolo pause and makes him fix whatever problems there are now, if he can fix them. But so maybe it's the kick in the ass that they need. But um, a lot of a lot of doubts now creeping in when it comes to LAFC. Not that they're not a good team, but they maybe they're not as good as we all thought. At one point, it looked like they were going to uh, surpass New England's record, which they set uh, last season of 73 points, MLS single season record. Now they would have to run the table to do that. So I think pretty soon here in New England, they're going to be able to pop the champagne 72 Dolphin style because I think that record will live on. But yeah, you mentioned something there. There is a school of thought that it might be good for LAFC to have this dip now uh, and maybe not go into the playoffs with such an aura of invincibility because MLS history tells us that that's actually a recipe for disaster in the playoffs. Yeah. And look, strength of remaining schedule is important. Let's see. They go, uh, they play RSL at home at Dallas. That's not an easy game at Minnesota and Minnesota struggling a little bit now uh, uh, and home against Houston. So they'll get some payback. They're going to go to a Portland, which is never an easy place to play, especially with what Portland is now. And then they finish against Nashville and Nashville's come out of their funk. So I think they have a harder stretch down, uh, you know, down the line here than, uh, than a Philadelphia, but you know, they're still a quality team. But, uh, but, you know, Gareth Bale did, did not look good in, uh, on the field there. Kalini still doesn't play a full 90 uh, when it comes to uh, what's going on there. But, you know, I, I do think that this, this could be a blessing in disguise for LAFC to remind them that, hey, you know what? Um, you're, you know what does stink, just like everybody else's. And you still have to work and you still have to figure it out. And this will test Steve Tarundolo. What else, Mossy? Well, so uh, the other part of the story is Philadelphia, which uh, Wednesday night on FS1 beat Atlanta 4-1. That's 16 goals in the last three games, 39 goals in the last 11. Um, you had a lot to say on television, on Twitter about this Philadelphia team. I know you've been going back and forth with union fans. So uh, There's even a senator, I think, that just tweeted me. He wasn't happy with it. Uh, yeah, so look. I, I think what I did was I, I used the Philadelphia game that we had against Atlanta as an opportunity to unload in a positive way and I think rightfully praise this team for what it has done. And it's not just the amount of goals. Yeah, that in and of itself would be incredible, but it's just the consistency. And I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating. Um, I am a huge fan of Jim Curtin over at Philadelphia because there are so many teams and I've, I, I hear so many coaches that talk about identity and personality and you know style of play and all this BS. And, you know, Jim does not suffer fools. He is incredibly direct. He's also incredibly realistic 
about what a coach can do and can't do. And it's incredibly refreshing to hear him talk about the realities of his job and his job specific to uh, to Philadelphia. And so, yeah, I think it was a, a love letter. It was a ode to Jim Curtin and the Philadelphia Union for what they have done with less and they don't complain. Now, it's, it's not that they never complain, but they don't complain in, in the ways that maybe they even have a right to, given that they are a they're a big market team acting like a small market team. But, you know, Jim never complains about the lack of money or the disparity between teams that he's playing. He just gets on with it. And as I said on air, he coaches and he is willing to coach players up, which I think, strangely enough, is a dying art and a skill in an era where coaches, the first thing they say is, give me more money, give me more players. This is a coach that actually says, yes, I would love to have better players, but this is what I have. I am going to make them individually and collectively better. And this is the mark of not a team. This is a mark of a club. I might not agree or particularly find interesting the way that they go about their business in terms of being that small market, but I do have a respect that at least they walk it. They say, this is our identity. This is what we are going to do. We're going to punch above our weight. We're going to be, we're going to lean into development, but not just into development like Dallas did for so long. We are going to sell players. We are not going to be the super club of the league. And that's, and that's okay. And again, it doesn't from an outside perspective necessarily interest me. It's certainly not sexy, but I can at least respect the fact that when they talk about it, they do it and it is providing results. The LA Galaxy involved in a fun one, 2-2 draw away to Toronto. Uh, both uh, Galaxy goals were magnificent. Douglas Costa with a wonderful free kick. And then Ricky, is it Pooch? Well, they've been saying Pooch, I think. So we'll have to get the, <laughs> the definitive pronunciation at some point. Maybe we'll just go right to the source here because there is some discrepancy out there. But I just call him Ricky. I mean, that's that, I think that's a very cool name, too. Not that Poosh isn't cool either, whether it's Pooch or Poosh. But listen, this was a player with a lot of attention, obviously, where he comes from, a lot of money um, and a lot of expectations. And I love when someone like that steps on the field and says, yeah, give me the ball and I'm going to do it. I'm going to live up to those expectations. He scored a great goal. And by the way, what could be a very, very important point against a completely changed Toronto FC team that is for the most part, flying right now. And Chicharito getting into it with Michael Bradley. I loved it up there uh, north of the border in the great white north uh, in, in Toronto because it was a game of great goals. It was a game of, game of back and forth. It had plenty of drama and uh, and plenty of theater. And they were getting into it. And you can see that there's a, whether it's this game or any other games, there there is a recognition that it's coming down here to the wire and everybody is fighting and, scra- and scraping, including Toronto FC, which will feel like, well, and they did leave points on the table here that they can ill afford to do at this point as they try to struggle to get back from just a horrendous start. But then with all of those those additions, almost being basically a new team midseason. Well, you said you love Chicharito's antics. A lot of people were uh, bothered by it, including our good friend Eric Winalda, who tweeted that this is why soccer is not popular in this country uh, because of stuff like that. Uh, do, do you understand where he's coming from? The sort of anger people feel when they stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I understand exactly where Eric and, and others are coming from in that is their embellishment. Absolutely. But I look at it as the theater of the game. And again, it, relative to 
to countries and cultures, it's interpreted in very different ways. And as, and we, as we talked about before, there's even a begrudging respect in certain cultures when it's done, <clears throat> excuse me, when it's done correctly. And, you know, in that moment, he had three guys around him. And I think he wants, I mean, you're, you're wanting to portray to the audience that you are in front of, and more importantly, to the audience of one that is the referee, what is going on in an effort to gain an advantage. And I know there's a lot of people that it it hurts them and irritates them to the core when they see something like that, including, you know, my friend Eric and, and others out there. I don't, I look at it just as, as part of the, part of the entertainment, part of the theater, part of the pageantry um, and part of the game, whether you like it or not. Uh, Nashville really surging in the West. Uh, they beat Colorado 4-1, uh, Hani Mukhtar with a hat trick. And this recent good form started after Dax McCarty called out the team. Uh, suddenly Nashville looking like the team I thought they were going to be all season, which is this MLS cup contender. Well, you know, Dax calling out the team, you know, we, we know he is a leader and we know when he talks, people listen, at least people, you know, within his vicinity and, and, you know, players and, and even fans. Um, it was also interesting after the game that, you know, Dax came out and base, basically gave us a, a stump speech in favor of Hani Mukhtar winning the MVP. Uh, I don't know how important that is, but, uh, you know, Dax felt that it was something that he needed to do. Uh, and, and he will be, I, I think he will get votes. I think it's hard with Trucy, but you never know. And there was a time, you know, a month ago when everyone was saying, oh, what's going on with Nashville? They really got to get it together here. And, you know, all sorts of rumblings about what's going on behind the scene. But they've they've gotten it together. They've gotten uh, results at home. They've gotten results on the road here. And now they're, you know, they're sitting pretty right now. So whether it's Dax uh, or, uh, or, or Mukhtar or anybody else out there, they got to be pretty happy. And this this is the type of, you know, trajectory that you want as an MLS team coming down the home stretch here. This is the type of inertia that you want behind you as we get into it. It's not backing in. That's not something that you want to do. Although, you know, we've seen teams that have backed in and, and found some completely different gear in the playoffs, but all things being equal, this is the type of ramp that you want to be on. Uh, Portland did LAFC a favor by beating Austin 2-1. Had Austin won that game, uh, the gap would have been down to three points at the top of the Western Conference. Instead, it stays at six. And Portland also boosted their own playoff hopes. They're above the line, um, the last team in. Uh, Driussi scored in this game for Austin his 20th of the season, but it wasn't enough. Uh, nice win for Portland. Nice win for Portland. And, and, and one, like you mentioned, that they they absolutely need. And so now, you know, even with that great result that L.A. had up in uh, in, in Toronto, they are still under the line. Now they they are they have two games in hand over Portland, and you got to feel that they would be able to amass some points at the at the very least catch Portland from a point perspective here. But you know Portland's just hanging in there, uh, and you know they're they're friends to the north up there in the Great Cascadia, which I know we're going to talk about next. Uh, not so much, but there still might be some energy and some life left in the uh, in the timbers in that push and that final uh, final push for the, uh, you know, for the playoffs here and going on the road and not just beating any team, but beating one of the great teams in this league right now. That's a that's a nice feather in Giovanni Savarese's cap. Yeah, Seattle, you mentioned that they blow a two-goal lead, lose to Orlando 3-2. They're now six points out of the final playoff spot. A lot of people think that uh, this result means you can stick a fork in the Sounders this season. Are you ready to go there? Yeah, I mean, 
unless they unless they were to go on a run and they're going to need a lot of help from others. But I guess I'm just sick um, of, you know, fool me once, all that kind of stuff of saying, yeah, they'll they'll get it together. And maybe they were saying the same thing behind the scenes. Yeah, we'll get it together. We'll figure it out. And it never actually came to uh, came to be. Let me ask you something, Mossy, because, I've you know, I thought about this and I want to be I want to be fair. But does it does it taint it a little bit? the CCL situation, because, you know, they're going to say we put all of our eggs in that CCL basket, but, but let's be honest. Okay. In the beginning of the season. Okay. I get it. I can understand that you can be forgiven that, but there was a whole chunk of season and the majority of season that in this league that is forgiving would enable you in particular, this Seattle team that has such a consistency of being able to make the playoffs wouldn't enable you to fight back. And so I, I do think that it, that it's a blemish. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. The only thing I would say is they've won MLS cups before, and we make such a big deal about becoming that first MLS team to win CCL. So, you know, they they were going to miss the playoffs one of these seasons. I mean, it's just impossible for a franchise to make it every single year. So I look at it the other way, at least if you're going to have this streak and have it be in a year where you won this other historic trophy. So um, I don't know. I think they still on balance will come out of this. Yeah, I I think so. And and they will, I, I think rightfully, get and deserve praise for the history of what they did and that accomplishment. But it will always be with not the asterisks. I'm not talking about, you know, bubbles or anything like that, but it'll always be, Oh, and you know, remember when Seattle won CCL and they were the first team in the modern era and in the, and the, that current structure to win that. And did you know that they didn't even make the playoffs that year? It'll always be kind of part of that story. I actually think it's a shame. I think it's a shame because I, I do think that it, that in some way it it diminishes it at least for me. So, and, and Pumas are absolutely dreadful in Liga MX. So it's interesting how the two finalists uh, had lousy seasons domestically. But it's also uh, a tournament, so you got to you know be timing and stars aligning. Those you know those are uh, those are important. Uh, so yeah, so I think that Seattle it, it's it's a bridge too far at this point. And uh, for Atlanta, I know we talked about the Philadelphia again crushing Atlanta and scoring goals and winning and doing what they what they want. Atlanta wasn't even in this game, and it, it, let me just go back to uh, to Atlanta because they, I, I think this does bear repeating. I've uh, you know I've talked for so many years about super clubs, and when I think of Atlanta, and it's a nouveau riche club because it is relatively new, but it's a nouveau riche super club, and I think that they are in real danger of again, not missing the play or not making the playoffs. And in doing so, speaking of tarnishing um, and maybe more so eroding the goodwill and the legacy that they kind of built right out of the chute. And that's, that to me is concerning. That's to me is disappointing because this, as I said, was sold to us as a super club. And you're, you've now gone through multiple coaches, potentially in the offseason here. You might even be looking for another uh, coach. You have changes in the front uh, office. Carlos Bocanegra has got to be feeling uh, feeling the heat right uh, right now. And again, I don't look at, at, at Atlanta United as a place where players are there to develop and I want to see them grow. I look at Philadelphia is a very, very different identity than Atlanta. And in Atlanta, you want the finished product or close to the finished product. I'm not saying you can't grow, but close to the finished product. That's to me what has been promised. And if that's not what they are, as I said on the air, air, air uh, the other night, then fine, tell me, and I won't hold them to that. But that's what 
I thought Atlanta United was. And now we come to find out that it's it's not just a poor team, an average team right now, but it is completely abandoned and, and seemingly lost that identity, that big, bold, arrogant type of flavor and feel and approach that 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 has endeared me from the start. So anyway. Uh, so looking ahead to some MLS games uh, this upcoming weekend on Saturday, uh, Minnesota hosts Dallas. That's a pretty tasty one in the Western Conference. Minnesota better get their, uh, you know, the Loons better get their uh, their act together there. Um, you know, Dallas, we talked to uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus Ferreira, just kind of, you know, hanging out, cruising along under the uh, under the radar here and, you know, sitting pretty in uh, in fourth place in the in the West over there. And, you know, while Minnesota isn't I don't I don't think is in danger of, of going anywhere when it comes uh, when it comes to the playoffs. You know, if again, if you are not firing on all cylinders, if you are not feeling confident about what is going on, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we said Minnesota uh, had a moment where they played badly, but they still got the points. Right. And then, and then now they play badly and they're not getting the points. That's not a good thing. Uh, and you have to learn from those times when you play badly and clean it up for the next time. And, you know, I, so that, that would be the concern when it comes to Minnesota, but yeah, I'm excited about that. game. Uh, another game. I'm really excited about Nashville facing Austin, a chance for Hani Mukhtar to make uh, an MVP statement, back up Dax's words against the presumptive uh, favorite in Sebastian Driussi. So that, that could be, a well, that's the story. I mean, right. That That's, uh, that's the story. There is these two magicians, if you will. And, you know, we're going to get down to awards season and people are going to be going back and, you know, I, I, for those that have listened for any stretch of time, you know that I have my MLS uh, MVP criteria, and I'll give it to you again in, in coming in the coming weeks here, and, and let you know. But you know, they, both of these players, you, you want them on your team, and when they get on the field together, that's going to be fun because people are going to deduce out of that out of that performance whether it's fair or not. Oh, this guy was better. This team was better. This guy does more for this team. This guy does more for that team. So yeah, definitely. Uh, that's something I'm going to want to, I'm going to want to watch as I mean, Philadelphia, right. Uh, Red Bull hosting uh, Philadelphia at this point, you, you want to watch Philadelphia because they, they just can't stop scoring goals. And another quick story about uh, Jim Curtin, when we asked him about the situation, I mean, he turned to us and said, guys, this is not normal. And it's not. And so he's just kind of taking it as it as it comes along, recognizing that at some point they're going to have a bad game. At some point, they're not going to score a lot of goals. At some point, who knows? They might win a game, but it'll be a close squeaker of a game. And he might take just as much pride and joy as, you know, the six nothings that they are uh, that they are stringing together. Uh, in Europe this weekend, um, let's go to Italy first. A couple of games I really have my eye on. Um, Milan Derby, AC Milan facing Inter Milan at the San Siro. These two teams have battled for the Serie A title in each of the last two campaigns. Inter won it one year and then Milan won it last season. So uh, this should be a fun one. Huh? Yeah, I'm, you know, we talked in the first segment about uh, Serginio Dest. I'm not expecting him to, to be out there, but hello, you know, you know, who knows what uh, ultimately can uh, happen out there. But it's a classic matchup uh, matchup here. Um, you know, whenever, obviously, uh, you know, we have this uh, this Derby, you know, you think back to the incredible players and the incredible times and, you know, that these these teams that have gone through ups and downs are now kind of back being, you know, the focus of attention. I think that's cool. I think it's cool for uh, for Syria to have, to have these classic teams back where they 
I, I guess not necessarily belong, but back where I like to see them. And then also Fiorentina Juventus, which this is a fierce rivalry, at least from the Fiorentina side, they hate Juventus. And this fixture always evokes memories for me of when Fiorentina sold Roberto Baggio to Juventus back in 1990, and there were riots in the streets of Florence. And uh, it is interesting that uh, Juventus's current star is also a player they bought from Fiorentina, Dusan Vlahovic, who has all of a sudden turned into the best free kick taker in the world. He scored a couple of insane free kicks this season. So that's going to be fun, him going back to Florence. And keep an eye on the Weston McKinney situation. I'm not trying to be an alarmist here, but... He started a couple games this season, was criticized for his performances, got dropped from the starting lineup, and then the last game against Spezia didn't play at all, was an unused sub. So McKinney's a guy to <laughs> keep an eye on here the, about you know his situation as far as Juventus goes. Well, first uh, off, Vlaovic's uh, free kick, you're absolutely right. And he's hitting it with not only precision, but with just, he, he's hitting it dead in a good way. You know, I mean, these things are flying. You know how Cristiano used to hit, you know, when they were almost like beach balls and stuff like that. So I mean, if he's if he has added that on a consistent basis uh, to his uh, to his to his arsenal, that is that is amazing. And you know, we we talked in the uh, first segment really quick about uh, you know the Figo documentary and you know these rivalries on and off the field and the resentment that that brews up from whether it's the fan base or the players or you know the front offices and all the the main characters in all of these different things. But you know, it wouldn't be Italian soccer if it didn't have drama. Uh, and then switching to Spain, uh, Sevilla will face Barcelona. Actually, point of interest for me with this game is more Sevilla because uh, they've made a lousy start to the season. Just one point from the first three La Liga games. There's talk that a bad result here in Lopetegui might get fired. Remember, he's the guy who was involved in that crazy situation with Spain uh, on the eve of the last World Cup. Ended up going to Real Madrid. Also... Uh, uh, reached out to U.S. soccer, right? Wanting to get interviewed for the U.S. national team job. U.S. soccer didn't speak to him. And a lot of uh, U.S. fans were annoyed about that. They felt like he was worth at least a phone call. So he's always been a name that in American soccer circles has kind of resonated. And uh, yeah, he, he's in some trouble there with a lousy start to the season with Sevilla. Uh, with with what Barca is and isn't Mossy, uh, and I probably should have asked you this in the previous segment, but um, where where do you ultimately see them finishing off because I was, I was on the plane today, as I mentioned, uh, flying in, in here to uh, Kansas city. And I was with someone and they actually started talking about how Barca has kind of abandoned any sense of identity that they have had in the past. How, how do you, do you think that that manifests ultimately in what is the most important, what happens on the field? in terms of uh, their ability to, uh, to gain points and to be, you know, the, the club or one of the clubs at the top of uh, La Liga. Well, I will say though, I, I do think Pedri and Gavi are like the second coming of Xavi and Iniesta. And so okay. those two starting the midfield along with Busquets, you could argue that in the center of the park, there's still kind of a Barcelona feel, but I agree elsewhere. They've kind of abandoned that and just thrown money at, at, at big names and, and, um, but I, I do like this team a lot. I mean, Robert Lewandowski's, uh, you know, already up to four goals this season in La Liga and, you know, did some incredible ones and showing that he's going to be an incredible signing for them. Uh, then Bele looks great. We'll see if he can stay fit. Ansu Fati as well. Rafinha played very well last time out. So, uh, like I said, you know, I have a lot of questions about how they did this. 
and you know, and whether they mortgage the future just to win one transfer window. But I do think the moves they made this summer were very good, and they have a strong team. And I think they're going to challenge um, for a La Liga title with Real Madrid, and I think be a dangerous team in the Champions League as well. Yeah, I mean, my my only point was that for so long it was you know Mestun club, right? And now it just seems like. Uh, Como todos los clubs, clubs right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I said that right, but <laughs> igual, igual, igual de todos los clubs. I don't know. There's, there's uh, some people for sure, yeah. All right. What else? Uh, in Germany, you know, the, the last podcast we did where we were looking ahead to games, uh, I mocked the notion of there being a big game in Germany. Bayern were set to play Gladbach, and, and I said on the pod, like, I'm not even going to include that on the list because you look ridiculous. Bayern are probably going to win four or five. No. Well, lo and behold, they dropped points in that game. They were held to a one-one draw. So uh, this weekend, I am going to talk up a game in Germany because Union Berlin play host to Bayern. Those two teams level on points atop the table. Union Berlin, a club I've talked about on this podcast before. It's a great story. Our last season covering the Bundesliga on Fox was their first ever Bundesliga campaign, the 1920s season. Uh, they finished 11th, then 7th the following season, then 5th last season. And here they are. Uh, tied with Bayern on points atop the table. So it's just been a meteoric rise for this club, and they have an American, Jordan Pifak, leading the line. So I actually think this is an interesting game to watch this weekend. It is. Um, but you also, I mean, the Bayern result the other day, if not for the, you know, <laughs> heroic efforts of the goalkeeper, uh, and 19 saves or something like that. So, yeah, it. yes, they can drop points, but I think what we saw is something ridiculous has to happen for Bayern to uh, to screw up. I would still, and I, I'm sure you're with me here, as good as as Union has, uh, has been, I still think that this is Bayern and this is Bayern comfortable. And all of those opportunities that they got, you know, now start uh, now start to go in. So be careful, don't poke that that Bayern bear. Yeah, that was Jan Summer for Gladbach. Amazing performance. But yeah, no, I agree with you. I don't think it was indicative of Bayern being vulnerable at all. It is going to be a fun scene, that game, that Union Berlin crowd will be hyped up for that one. So we'll see how it goes. And then finally, in England, uh, there's a lot of derbies this weekend. The Merseyside derby, Everton will take on Liverpool, who are coming off a crazy win against Newcastle. Some people had an issue with the amount of stoppage time Liverpool fans pushed back, said all the time wasting Newcastle did, you know, it was, it was warranted. I don't know. Where did you come out on that? Did you think Liverpool got a gift with that game being extended as long as it was? <laughs> I mean, the, uh, in, uh, in seeing some of my Liverpool friends immediately after the final whistle, they were all kind of giggling <laughs> in, in the way that one does when one feels that one got away with something. And look, even the best teams in the world at some point, you know, they, they have these moments. The problem from a Liverpool perspective is we have yet to see the best. And so that I think is where some of the trepidation comes, but I mean, this was, you know, what was it? Nine minutes of, uh, of, uh, of extra of stoppage time or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm always of the opinion that the the ability to rectify the situation and the frustration that I do. And I know a lot of fans feel when it comes to the wasting of time, is, is and it has always been in the hands of the referee. And so if and when somebody actually follows the law and does what is expected of you as a referee, that is to be applauded. That is to be praised. Uh, and so I didn't think that it was unjustified. And therefore, I didn't think that this was, you know, in any way, 
a, a stolen type of result. You know, if you if you want to play games uh, during the actual 90 minutes, you know, there could be consequences to those actions if you have a referee that's going to stand up and do the right thing. And that's what happened. So take your lumps. Uh, a couple of London derbies, Tottenham host Fulham, which means Tim Ream will have to contend with Harry Kane. That'll be an interesting matchup there. Mm. And then Chelsea play host to West Ham. We'll see if Christian Pulisic starts or... One minute he comes on and, you know, the, the next chapter in that whole situation. The next chapter in the in the Christian politics. Tim Ream, uh, you know, people, uh, I was on the plane today and people were tweeting me that he's playing the best of his career and that he definitely should now be in the plans. My, my only point about Tim Ream is I don't I don't disagree. He's playing very, very well, but I don't see him as any different of a player than he has been. Um, I think he has always been a quality player with positives and negatives and strengths and weaknesses like any, like any player over there, but man, oh man, um, when you are playing in the EPL, you are playing well, you are captaining your side. That's a, that's a good thing. And it's, it could be hard for Greg Berhalter to ignore. And it's a reason, regardless if he's with the national team or not to once again, tune into an EPL side. And finally, uh, the game of the weekend in yep. England on Sunday, Manchester United will host Arsenal. United beat Leicester today. So after dropping their first two, they've now won three in a row. Jaden Sancho with the winner today against Leicester. Arsenal, five wins out of five, but a pretty soft schedule. So this is being framed as their first major test to find out if they're the real deal. Uh, so I'm really excited for this game. Uh, Anthony, who United spent all that money for late in the window, uh, likely to make his debut in this game. So it's going to be a bit of of a Brazilian attacking orgy with Martinelli and Jesus on one side, Anthony on the other. So I'm excited about that. So yeah, really looking forward to this game. But I just so I'm I'm clear though, uh, Americans bad, right? American ownership bad, right? Um, still <laughs> bad, right? It hasn't changed. I just I, I lose track. I need like an Excel sheet to keep uh, keep track of it all. I mean, look, we're we're gonna watch this one for all of the drama and the theater and the talent and you know, man, you that were written off just a few games ago are now back and you know arsenal which has been a juggernaut since the beginning of the season yeah this is i think this is as much a test for arsenal as it is for manchester united i agree uh, all right anything it. else my friend nope. yeah lots of games lots of good games whether it's uh domestic or abroad coming at you i mean if you're able to watch them Good for you. I don't know. I don't know how you do it. I try. I have as many screens going on as I possibly can. Um, and, uh, you know, some of them slip through the cracks, but that's to be expected. But there's just so much soccer and so much great soccer and so many wonderful stories to have. And again, if you're if you're listening outside of the U.S., uh, I don't know what your situation is, but here in the U.S., we are spoiled <laughs> on a consistent basis with the amount of soccer that we are that we are uh, able to access each and let's be honest, each and every day. And it's, it's wonderful. So it is an orgy, my friend of, uh, of soccer or a smorgasbord, I guess it would be a better word. Um, anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. Getting ready to take on spring. Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. 
The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexa. You know that portion of the show when uh, you send in your questions, comments, concerns out there on the old social media platforms. You can use the hashtag Ask Alexi, or you can even call in if you want and uh, use our podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. I think we have a couple of Twitter questions this week. And again, uh, on Twitter, as is the case with uh, most of the social media out there, it's SOTU with Alexi, SOTU with Alexi. We'd appreciate any uh, follows when we uh, have these now dedicated um handles out there. All right. What's first, Mossy? First up, Brendan McCarthy asks, Alexi, where do you think all the CONCACAF teams will finish in the World Cup? Okay. So let's see. Uh, let's go through it here. Uh, Group B, which we know consists of uh, England, Iran, the United States, and Wales. I think the United States, which would be the CONCACAF team, is coming out of that group. Uh, let's see. We go to uh, Group C, um, which consists of Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. And out of that group, I actually think that our friends from down south are going to, uh, you know, punch above their weight, if you will, or do differently than I think a lot of people b- believe that they're going to do. And I think they're going to come out of the group. Um, then uh, what else do we have here? Oh, let's go to group uh, A, B, C, D, E, right? Group E, which would be Spain and Costa Rica and Germany and Japan. Um, I love my Costa Rican friends, but I do not think that they are going to have a repeat of punching above their weight, let alone winning the group. And I don't think that they are coming out of uh, the group. Uh, And then we can go to, uh, let's see, um, F, right? F, so you got Belgium and uh, you got uh, Canada and you got Morocco and you got uh, Croatia. This is all off the top of my head, my friend. So I I hope I got this uh, right. And while I love Canada finishing first in CONCACAF, wonderful, wonderful generation and back for the first time since 1986, I don't think given the talent um, and the competition that they have in this group, they didn't get a great group, to be quite honest with you. I don't think that Canada is coming out. Uh, Do you agree or disagree with any of my assessments there, Mossy? Yeah, I buy it. Um, uh, the only one I'm a little bit torn on is Mexico. Uh, is it going to be Mexico or Poland, the other team out of that group with Argentina? But yeah, I, I, I could buy Mexico. I, I do think the U.S. will get out of its group. And I agree with you, uh, Costa Rica or roadkill in that group with uh, Spain and Germany. And then, yeah, Canada, I just feel like that that good feeling has dissipated because of that whole brouhaha with the Federation. I don't know if they can get it back, but I suddenly don't have great thoughts about Canada going into this World Cup. Despite yeah, I, don't the think, I don't think that's I don't think that'll be the problem. I, I, I think it much more just just the actual competition and the, uh, you know, the teams that they are playing. I think that's a, a bigger problem. And, and, you know, trying to recapture some of that. Uh, magic that they had through CONCACAF qualifying. I mean, it's obviously literally a different country and a different area of the uh, of the world. And I just think it's it's going to be hard to do that. But listen, they have they have shown us that they, uh, you know, that they can surprise us before. And I would love to see it just from a personal perspective. I'd love to see Canada do well, but I just don't think they're coming out of uh, out of the group. Anything else, Mossy? The next question at uh, Mark Y asks, can you rank one through seven the race to be the starting U.S. number nine in Qatar? How many of them would you bring to fall camp? 
what do those who don't come into camp have to do to leapfrog onto the plane? Is there a dark horse? And then he put in parentheses, Brandon is not a dark horse. Well, I mean, he's not a dark horse. First off, he is a dark horse, given that he's never even played with the national team. Okay. And we've never actually seen him with the full national team up top and in Greg Berhalter's camp. So that would be the ultimate dark horse if at this late stage, somebody were able to come in with two games until the World Cup and were able to make such an impression on the field and off the field within this established group that you were to bring him, hell yeah, he would be a uh, a dark horse. Um, Okay, so I think the order, well, so first off, I do think you bring as many as you possibly can. All right, I know, normally I don't like to have this kind of survivor-esque type of scenario, but I think specific to this moment, to this team, and to more, most importantly, to this position, I just think that it it calls for it right now. I I, I like to think these next two games are kind of fine-tuning. You, you know what you got. But what you don't know is that one position that continues to be not just a position with, with an incredible uh, stark void, but a real concern going forward. And nobody has stepped up. I think number one is Jesus Ferreira. And I think come, uh, you know, barring something ridiculous, and I'm knocking on wood here because something catastrophic happening, I think Jesus Ferreira is going to be starting for the U.S. in the World Cup come the game against uh, Wales in November. Uh, then you got Jordan Pifok, uh, Josh Sargent. Josh Sargent is, uh, you know, not number one with a bullet, but back in the top 10 with a bullet. And, uh, you know, he is he is playing well. Obviously, he is scoring. He's playing in a position that he obviously is much more comfortable with than we have seen. But again, whether, you know, we, we, when I say we, I mean, Greg Berhalter and his staff, they know who Josh Sargent is. So if he comes back in and he's a completely changed player, first off, that would surprise me. But if that were to happen, that would be a good thing because whatever he was, that was not enough. Uh, Brandon Vasquez, who we talked to, uh, Last week, and you should really check out the uh, uh, the interview that we had with him because you know I think I think he does have a chance. Now, Greg Berhalter this week did do an interview where uh, he was talking about how you know he wanted to be honest and open, and that it is a I didn't say I don't think he said a long shot, but it's not the easiest thing for someone to come in. And this this gets to a point about let me just finish up here. Uh, so five Haji Wright, Ricardo Pepe. I I mean even with the you know with the loan here. I, I, I don't know. I think that that ship has sailed as has Jossie's artist, but that would be the seven right there. And again, I think you bring them all in. And then I think you bring three of them um, ultimately from a, a number nine perspective and you want them to be different. And I think just inherently it's going to be different than, uh, uh, than Jesus Ferrer. But, but back to what Greg Berhalter was talking about, it was interesting because I think he made it very clear this week in the rounds of media that he did that he's going to dance with the ones that brung him. He has in his mind what this group is. I don't think he looks at between now and the World Cup as a time for experimentation. And as a matter of fact, I think he is saying what, you know, some coaches have said. I certainly have said this all along in that a national team is not about the best players. It is about the best collection of players. And he came right out and said that 
he needs to have the best group that he feels is going to do individually and collectively what he wants to do. And we've talked a lot about what he what he wants to do. But you may have a very, very good player that just doesn't fit. You may have a very, very good player that comes in and doesn't fit either because he doesn't do on the field what Greg Berhalter wants him to do or a combination of on and even, even off the field. He just doesn't fit in with the dynamics. So I don't think that there's going to be a lot of surprises with the one exception of that number nine position. And someone like Brandon Vasquez, if he were to come in and light it up and just do things, like I said, on and off the field that really endear him to the coaching staff and to this group of guys. And keep in mind that a lot of these guys kind of have grown up in the generation of Brandon Vasquez. So they will know who he is and maybe have played with him at, at the youth level and stuff like that. So there is maybe some connection out there. That would be the, that would be the, uh, the big surprise. And absolutely that would be a dark horse. So uh, as I, as, well, I can appreciate Mark, you saying that Brandon is not a dark horse. He absolutely is a dark horse. Anybody else that I'm missing here, Masi? Daryl uh, DK's by the way, Daryl DK is hurt. So I didn't, uh, I didn't include him. That was going to be it. So if, if we're discounting him because of injury, then yeah, no, I, I got nobody do you, else. Do you think that, well, first off, you know, Greg Berhalter, nobody could pin him down as to whether Brandon Vasquez was even going to be called into this camp. So one, do you think he gets called into this camp? And two, if he gets called into the camp, what do you, what, give me a, a number percentage of him making that plane to, uh, to Qatar. Um, Berhalter's comments, I thought for sure he was going to get called up and then Berhalter's comments have put some doubt in my mind. Uh, and yeah, I think, uh, it's probably going to be three center forwards. And if PFOC keeps scoring the Bundesliga and Sargent, uh, plays well between now and November for Norwich, uh, then yeah, I think Vasquez will not make the plane to Qatar, uh, no matter what he does for Cincinnati. Can I just address something though? Of course you can. Uh, during our last Josh Sargent conversation, I made a passing comment regarding the championship that uh, drew some ire on Twitter. Um, and I stand by it. People can call me ignorant if they want, but uh, well, I know. Okay, well, well, redo it. Let's, uh, let's hear it. If it, was, if it was good one time, it's even better the second time. What? R- rinse oh, and repeat, my friend. What'd you say? Well, no, I mean, I, 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 the, the point of the clip was me advocating that if Josh Sargent plays well between now and November, he should go to Qatar. So I obviously don't hold it against him that much that he plays in the championship. But still, in, in uh, gushing about his performances, I did add the caveat that he's doing it in a league that I don't have that high a regard for. And of course, some people took offense to that. And, you know, just to uh, elaborate on that, listen, the, the English championship, it's a very physically demanding league. It's 46 rounds. The style of play is very intense. So some players struggle for that reason. But I was talking about the quality of the football, the technical level. There's a type of English fan that's turned off by certain aspects of the Premier League, the foreign owners, the foreign managers, the, the presence of super clubs, the fact that the big six suck all the oxygen out of the room. And so they view the championship with some romanticism. And I get that, but it does lead them to overrate it a bit in terms of the quality. I, I, I don't think the footballing quality is all that high. For me, it's a tough watch whenever I sit down to try to watch a game in the championship. And so um, while I'm happy Josh Sargent is doing well, and like I said, I think if he keeps doing well in that league, he should go to go to the world cup. I just thought it was worth including that little caveat during my whole pro Josh Sargent spiel. And some people took offense to it. Well, I mean, you are a well-known soccer snob. And so it should come <laughs> as no surprise that uh, you look down your nose at the championship. Look, look, buddy, I will, I will come to your aid. Not that you need it uh, and completely 
agree. But also, you know, you it's 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 understood. It's understood. You know that uh, you, you're going to have the, the affinity towards leagues that you love, and you're going to stand up for those leagues that you uh, that you love. But yeah, I mean, some of some of it, and it's not that there isn't pretty soccer that is that is played there, but in general, and I think what you're saying is overall the quality of that league from top to bottom is put on a higher level than what you actually feel it should be, and therefore, when we are judging these players. It should come with the knowledge and the reality check, if you will, that it's it's not as high as maybe people believe it is or make it out to be. That's it. All right. Uh, thank you for uh, the questions uh, today and uh, keep them coming, uh, as you know, on all the different uh, platforms out there. And uh, we will get to as many as we possibly can. We haven't done a whole lot of uh, of hotline questions. I might put that out on on uh, my Twitter feed because we've uh, I think we've I think I only talked about it on the actual pod but I'm going to put it out on the Twitter feed maybe gin up some uh, some more questions when it comes to uh, the podcast hotline by the way that number is six five seven five four nine two two nine seven are we going to take another quick break and we come back it's the end of our show and I got you and at the end of each and every show I give you my one for the road so don't go anywhere. Getting ready to take on spring. Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back, and it's the end of uh, our show. Uh, appreciate everybody uh, tuning in, and as we mentioned at the top of the show, we are recording from Kansas City, where uh, Mossy and I are both here for the U.S. Women's National Team game, which you can see on Saturday, uh, U.S. versus uh, Nigeria, as they prepare for the now less than a year away from uh, from the World Cup. Uh, you know, this uh, this past week, uh, we we've been talking about players that are playing players that aren't playing players that are playing, but aren't playing well. And you've heard me over the years talk about uh, how I believe that form is fallacy relative to the national team. And I know it's just a, you know, gimmicky type of thing to say. And, you know, at times people have agreed at times people have disagreed and, and challenged out there. But when I, when I talk about that, it's basically just trying to highlight and illuminate the fact that when it comes to the international game, it is such a different animal. Obviously, it's a different environment. It's different surroundings. It's different teammates. It's oftentimes different and sometimes very different styles. But the only thing that we have to be able to judge players on a consistent week-to-week basis, is what they do for the club. Having said that, coaches, they will come out publicly, and this is understandable, they will say, you have to be playing, and I want you informed, and I want you playing well. And in order to keep your spot with the national team, you got to be playing well. But the reality is that that's what they have to say. Because what are they really going to say? Look, I know my guys and I know this guy 
whether he's playing or not, is going to do the job that I want him to do. And all things being equal, of course, as a coach, you want players not only playing, but you want them playing well. But this is not AYSO. This is not a meritocracy, all right, despite what people believe. It's more so maybe a meritocracy than, than, other, than, than a club situation at times, but it's still not a meritocracy in the way. I know we like to romanticize it, but it's, it, it's, it's not. And that's not, that's not a bad thing. We have human beings that bring all their baggage and their biases uh, and their histories with them when they are ultimately making selections. And so whether it's Christian Pulisic not playing at Chelsea, is that good? No, it's not good. I want him playing. But I, it doesn't fill me with dread having Christian Pulisic not playing or not playing a lot in terms of what he is going to do when he gets with the, with the, with the national team. And I don't know if this exists because I've never been on another national team. But I know that there was a constant that kind of ran through American players in that I know that the feeling that I felt when I got on that plane to go wherever it was I was going in the world to play with my national team, there was nothing like it. And I could be having a hell of a time, wonderful, making boatloads of money and scoring goals and winning and the time of my life in whatever place that I was. But in that moment, the opportunity to come back to the team, a team that is special, I see that. I see that in this U.S. men's national team now. I see it in the way that they interact. And I have to believe, and this is just, I don't know, but I have to believe that Christian Pulisic, even if he's not playing, and even if things aren't going well at Chelsea, maybe even because of that, even more so when he gets on that plane, and he's not alone, that it will be a pathway to an escape and to a beautiful adventure that can embolden him, that can energize him, that can motivate him, which is the World Cup. And maybe I'm being Pollyanna. Maybe I'm just, you know, positive thinking this thing. But I'm not as worried as many others are relative to who's playing, who's not playing, and whether they are playing well at their club situation and how that is ultimately going to dictate how they individually and collectively as a team do at at the World Cup. And so that's why I often say uh, form is fallacy. And as I mentioned, people agree, people disagree. And yes, all things being equal, equal, obviously, I want players playing. And I hope that they play. And I hope that they stay playing. And I hope that they stay injury-free going forward. Because we're getting down to it. And the World Cup is going to come like that. And they're going to get the opportunity to step on that plane and go to Qatar and possibly make history. And I want them all to be happy and excited looking forward to landing in Doha and doing the damage on the field. All right, Mossy, anything before we go? That is it. All right, so come and go with another uh, transfer uh, window here and all sorts of stuff. It's it's an amazing thing to see it happen uh, and to, to see all the different stories that are going on. We did not even come close to getting to all of them. We only scratched the surface, but we only have so much time here and it's impossible to go through them all. If you wanna go through them on your own, uh, feel free. But these teams are going to look different. And from a fan and maybe a coaching perspective, what they're going to want is that it results in them playing differently in the form of more success and better. We'll see. 
best laid plans and all. And uh, it is not an exact science when it comes to scouting players or signing players uh, out there. Um, continue to write and subscribe and to review and to follow us out there on all the different uh, social media uh, handles that we have. Remember, S-O-T-U with Alexi. Remember, ask Alexi or ask Mossy and keep sending us in those questions. We really, really appreciate it. And we really, appre- uh, really appreciate you uh, hanging out with us uh, today from Kansas City. Hope you have a wonderful weekend uh, and hope you're enjoying all the soccer that you're watching. And until then, and as always, size the day.